It's been a volatile period for the Rand with the local currency hitting record lows and becoming the third worst performing emerging market currency behind the Turkish lira and Argentina's peso. With the country's geopolitical decisions on Russia straining relationships with trade partners and major economies, investors are rattled. So is the Reserve Bank, which is sounding alarm bells that should the country be sanctioned, the consequences will be dire. Several local and global factors are compounding the situation, and with no respite on the horizon, we're going to look at short and long-term prospects for the RAND. My name's Jeremy Maggs. This is No Ordinary Wednesday. It's an in-depth look at what's driving markets, shaping the economy, changing the game. And today, by the way, marks our 50th episode. And if you've been enjoying the program, it'll mean a lot to all of us if you just take a moment to rate Investec Focus Radio essay on your podcast platform of choice. Now, with me today to discuss the RAND's collapse is Tersha Jacobs, Treasury Economist, and Obakeng Pizzi, Head of Sales and Structuring, both from Investec Corporate and Institutional Banking. Tersha and Obakeng, a very warm welcome to No Ordinary Wednesday. Tersha, let me start with you then and the Reserve Bank specifically, which targets the inflation rate that in turn supports the value of the currency. But this hasn't happened after the most recent interest rates hike. Hi, Jeremy. Yes, the market reaction after the Reserve Bank announced a 50 basis point rate hike at its May MPC meeting, which was actually expected by the market, as well as most of the analysts surveyed in Bloomberg, sparked a sell-off in the rand. And we were exploring various reasons for it. And it looked like, you know, where the Reserve Bank flagged upside risks to the czar in the context of, you know, high levels of load shedding, weaker growth was interpreted that the RAND is expecting further RAND weakness. So the market just took that comment and ran with it. Hence, the czar then weakened, which was contrary to what you say, higher rates tend to support the RAND in the short term. Tasha, please explain this to me if you can. How is the value of the RAND affecting inflation and how is the inflation rate impacting the RAND? I guess what I'm trying to ask you is, are we on a negative spiral where the RAND is simply going to continue to tumble? So that relationship between inflation and the RAND can either be like turn into a virtuous circle or a vicious circle, which you allude to. So usually, you know, when a currency depreciates and there's no intervention from a central bank, and by intervention, I mean, you know, in South Africa's higher rates, not outright spot purchases in the market, then it can feed through to higher inflation. And the higher a country's inflation is with its main trading partners, the less competitive a currency would become, which means more depreciation is needed to maintain the type of competitiveness. So the issue here is that somewhere this has got to be arrested. So, and I think that comes back to the to the short-term pain that the governor of the Reserve Bank referred to. Tersha, we also have to acknowledge, I imagine, exogenous factors and the myriad geopolitical crises that are prevalent at the moment. For instance, our discussions regarding President Vladimir Putin and this pending visit to South Africa, allegations leveled by the U.S. government against South Africa regarding the supplying of arms to Moscow. Those events surely rattle the markets and investors, and that in turn would have an impact on the currency. That is correct. I think the the context 
you know, where that is playing in is, you know, the economic or the fundamentals are very weak at the moment, you know, with fears about an intensification of load shedding going into winter. So that's basically the starting point. And then on top of it, you had the increase in political risk stemming from the factors that you mentioned. So that combination, you know, resulted in an increase in the country risk premium and, you know, investors and traders just exited the czar. Tosha, as we're recording this conversation, the country's GDP numbers have just been released for Q1 this year. We have avoided a technical recession and the economy, I read, is back to pre-COVID size. What's your assessment of that? And is the RAND going to take any strength, any solace from perhaps slightly better than expected numbers? Jeremy, the economy is caught in a low growth trap, right? We're forecasting GDP growth this year of 0.2%. The fact that we avoided a technical recession in the first quarter comes as a bit of relief. We've seen, you know, there are some sectors in the economy, a little bit of mining, manufacturing, even construction, you know, registering positive quarter on quarter growth. But the load shedding is actually, you know, intensified going into the second quarter. So a lot of that what we're seeing in the first quarter can be challenged. To the extent that the czar will will rally on this, you know, I think it's it's more a relief than, than anything else. It's not going to be a catalyst that's going to lead to a major re-rating. It's just an incoming data point that we are monitoring and we're watching now, you know, some of the key events in the third quarter that you referred to, issues around President Putin, the BRICS summit, where is the rant heading towards? We've got another Reserve Bank meeting in July. So I think the first quarter is now behind us. It is historic. It is now how the second quarter is evolving with basically winter around the corner. Well, talking of winter just around the corner, Obakeng, let me bring you into the conversation and let's return to load shedding if we can. This ongoing and never-ending electricity crisis, interest rates that we've already referenced, it's not doing any favours as far as the local currency is concerned. It's just going to make any kind of recovery, I imagine, all the more longer. Hi, Jeremy. I must agree. I mean, as Tesha alluded earlier, is that you've touched on two topical points right now, being load shedding and the rising interest rates locally and offshore. Just to unpack the load shedding part, I mean, I looked at some data recently and in the first four months of 2023, I mean, as at early May, we had had 127 days of load shedding. Now, that compares to 205 days in total for 2022. And you can see already that that doesn't paint the prettiest of pictures. Just to add to that, on average, the load shedding stage this year has been a lot higher than it has been in the 205 days last year. So if you will, the electricity gap in the first four months has been a lot higher than what it was last year. And Tisha mentioned we are going into winter, which doesn't bode well. So lots of question marks around there. And I guess that's part of the reason why we find ourselves where we are from a currency point of view. Just touching on interest rates, typically rising interest rates locally tend to support a currency. But I mean, Tisha made the point earlier that we didn't see that at the last MPC. And I think some of the concerns from an international investor point of view are a lot more structural in nature. 
monetary policy alone will not save the country and the RAND. And we need to see a lot more long-term structural decisions to spark investor interest again in South Africa as an investment case. Let's shift the conversation, Obakeng, to the markets if we can. Capital flows and equities are feeling the pinch. So if the current volatility remains, as you've both referenced, what is the outlook then? Jeremy, I think from a equity market point of view, typically rising interest rates tend to put pressure on equity prices. Now, we haven't seen that play through as much. I mean, I had a look at the all share over the past six odd months. It's actually up about 3%, but it is something to watch that it is known that as interest rates rise, that will put pressure on equity prices. From a capital flow point of view, I do think that capital flows will remain difficult to attract and retain. And there's a reason for that. You should remember in principle that South Africa as an investment destination is sub-investment grade. All three rating agencies have us as sub-investment grade. And that does not bode well in terms of bringing capital flows and rating us as an investment destination across our asset classes. Let's look at the bond market very quickly now, Obokang, if we can. Often the bond market is almost sort of the global vote of confidence in a country's performance. And we see now that foreign holders of South African bonds are at, I'm not sure if it's record low levels, but certainly at very low levels. Why is that? And then what factor is the currency playing in that respect? I think foreign ownership of South African government bonds is something that myself and Tisha look at quite closely. As at the last available data, Jeremy, total foreign ownership of bonds was just shy of about 26%. Now, that's a figure that's been declining probably over the past five years. I think the highest foreign ownership of SAGBs was just about 50% around about 2018. And so a couple of reasons for that. And that typically for me would have a negative impact on the Iran. So what happens is if your foreigners are net sellers are not buying or are not buying as your government issues new bonds, that will not prop up the rand. So if you have foreign investors and buying into your rand, that is seen as almost an anchor to the currency. And if you have net sellers, that does not bode well from a currency point of view. And I think the currency where it is, is telling a story which also coincides with the net foreign ownership of our bonds, which means that the international, and, and if I read it, the international market is not quite happy with SA. And there are a lot of questions in terms of us as an investment destination. Tosha, do you want to wade in quickly there as well? Do you agree with that sentiment? Yes, Jeremy. The drivers here are basically fiscal risks, right? We had two very good years where government revenues outperformed, you know, with a windfall of commodity prices, but with slower global growth, lower commodity prices, and SA Inc. under pressure because of high inflation, load shedding, high interest rates. You know, there's downside risk to corporate income tax payments while government is really struggling to contain spending. So that's playing out, you know, in with a risk of, of a higher budget deficit. And I think from that perspective, in the context that there's no short-term solutions for the electricity crisis, yes, um, things will definitely start to look better towards the end of the year. But now that we're still in the midst of the crisis, you know, it's very difficult for the markets to actually look over the mountain. And we have to see, you know, what's happening to revenue receipts, hence the country risk premium on our SA government bond yields are amongst the highest in the world. And Tertia, quickly, that argument is predicated, of course, on us getting some sort of respite from the load shedding. Promises have been made, but there's not necessarily a guarantee in that respect. 
One of the reasons why the load shedding has intensified in addition to the unplanned maintenance is that three of Kusili's units are actually offline. So that totals about 2,400 megawatts or so. So it's equivalent to nearly two to three stages. And then you can add Kubik that supplies 920. So the Minister of Electricity has committed that, you know, three of the Kusili units will come back online September, November and December. So that's a about equivalent to, to three stages of load shedding. But, you know, the, the issue as well is in winter, peak demand tends to increase to anything between 33,000 megawatts to 35,000 megawatts. So we have this structural shortfall of 6,000 megawatts. And if, you know, unplanned maintenance exceeds that, that pushes us to about stage six, seven, eight load shedding. So it's very important to, to get through winter. It would be amazing, you know, if we can get a relatively warm winter that will see peak demand below the 33,000 or so, similar to what played out in Europe, that will go a long way to support or at least prevent sentiment from deteriorating further. I'm not sure if we're going to have a warm winter, but I certainly know that we are going to have a wet winter. We are going to continue with this conversation in just a moment. Just a quick reminder that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Please don't miss it. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please take a moment to rate us. Tertia, as we have discussed in some detail, we know how we got here with the RAND. But maybe let's just talk a little bit about balance. And Obakeng, maybe you can also jump in after Tertia. How much of the situation that we find ourselves in right now is either swayed predominantly by local factors versus international factors? Do we have a sense of that? what that scale looks like? Jeremy, when you look at the performance of other emerging market currencies, what's really standing out is that the RAND actually underperformed most of the emerging market currencies, except for the Argentinian peso and the Turkish lira. So it's definitely SA specific factors that became a dominant driver from about November. You know, the news flow since November became increasingly negative from the grey listing in February to the intensification from the load shedding and the logistics crisis and the political dynamics, which we discussed earlier. So it is a SA specific thing. We have seen currencies like the Mexican peso, the Brazilian real, that have really done very well against the dollar. But there, their fundamentals are looking better and they're benefiting from high interest rates. So there, the carry trade also supported them. In Turkey, for example, is a completely different kettle of fish. There you've got a president who doesn't believe in standard monetary policy. In fact, interest rates are negative for inflation. Hence, their inflation is, I think it's above 50%. And he was re-elected and the Turkish lira has consequently fallen. So you can see the moment there's a country-specific factors that asserts themselves, currencies do underperform. And in South Africa's case, we have definitely scored our own goals here. Oba I'm sure that you share this a similar sentiment since November, as Tertia rightly says. We've just had this run of bad news. I have to agree with Tertia, and a lot of the problems are SA-specific, but I guess it's also important to note that I think the markets were caught off guard by the pace of developed market interest rate hikes. 
And I do think that it plays magnifying glass, I guess, on emerging markets. And if you look at South Africa and you compare us to our emerging market peers, from an interest rate point of view, we were slightly behind the curve, which also then put investment flows under pressure. So we were not providing a similar yield as our EM peers. And if you have a developed market, which is increasing rates faster than expected, there's a lot more scrutiny on emerging markets. And if you're not offering the same or better yield, that does not bode well for sentiment. And and that's part of the reason why we see ourselves where we are now. Okay, Obakane, don't go away because this is a question aimed at you and Tertia as well as we wrap up the conversation. So we've got a good sense of the context, uh, where we are right now. So projecting forward then, Obakane, what factors should we be looking out for in the next couple of months that could impact the RAND? So Jeremy, I'm cognizant of the fact that myself and Tesha probably haven't painted the prettiest of picture, but it's important to get through the nuts and bolts and look at the facts. I think we've, we've laid out a lot of the issues that are facing SA, the electricity crisis, the political instability. To add to that, something that I'm watching quite closely and paying attention to is the national election, which is roughly about 12 months away. South Africa is probably going into one of the hottest contested national elections next year. And there's a lot of question marks around that. And there'll be question marks locally and from an offshore point of view. So there seems to be still a lot of uncertainty in terms of the outlook, at least in the short to medium term. Tersh, I'll give the final word to you. What's on your short-term radar? On the short-term radar, I think is, as I mentioned before, it is winter. Are we going to see a ramp up in load shedding? You know, what has been encouraging developments since last week is that we, you know, load shedding was reduced to stages two and four. We know that the economy is in a much better position to cope with stage one to two and stages three and four is actually very welcome in, in the greater scheme of things. So the weather, the temperatures are very important. We're watching for any developments at Eskom in terms of dealing with, you know, the, the issues of sabotage. There were a few media reports around that. So I think that's the electricity issue. The second issue is the political factors. We hope to get more clarity soon about the BRICS summit in August, you know, whether it's taking place in South Africa and, you know, whether President Putin will arrive. There's some interesting dynamics from a constitutional perspective about it. And then we also monitor, and I think this becomes quite important for the outlook and monetary policy, where inflation is heading. You know, over the next two months, the outlook for inflation has improved in terms of base effects could see inflation receding to below 6% with June's reading that we will receive in July. And I think that can start to remove pressure from the Reserve Bank to hike interest rates. But this discussion was very much about the performance of the RAND and the drivers of the RAND. So how these dynamics will unfold is very important for the Reserve Bank's interest rate decision. So I'd say positive, looking at lower inflation. And if we can just get through winter without stage eight load shedding, I think that will do a lot for sentiment as well. What I've heard from the two of you is uh, cold weather, load shedding and uh, election 2024. So I think we need to buckle up for a lot of variables. Obakeng Pitsi and Tersha Jacobs, thank you for joining me on this 50th episode of No Ordinary Wednesday. Please join us again in a fortnight as we continue to explore money trends shaping your world. Uh, just a quick note, if you haven't yet added us to your podcast feed, search for Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts and hit that subscribe button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Maggs, and the entire Focus Radio team. 
The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.